Welcome to the Make Better Photos and Videos podcast. I am Ross. And I am Gordon. <laughs> and I'm cold and judging by the sweater that you're wearing, you are as well. I am, in fact. As the years pass, I enjoy winter less and less. So I thought about some photography that we can do indoors and not freeze to death. Given that it's about minus 23 Celsius as we record this. This is correct. Of course, it doesn't have to be cold outside to do this work, but it can be a reasonable reason not <laughs> to go out. Oh, absolutely. As of as of today, I'm saying, yeah, I'm just staying here until this goes away. Anyway, so now I know where you're going with this. Uh, you are planning on talking about tabletop close-up macro photography. I am indeed. Well, we've talked about close-up stuff before. So what are we going to, to deliver today that expands on that subject? Uh, particularly for indoor work. Well, we've talked about the gear before. I thought what we talk about on this episode is accessories. Most very inexpensive, some a little less so, but all useful to the close-up or macro photographer. Ah, so that means breaking a credo and spending some money. Well, what else were you going to do with the money? Buy food? Fuel? You're right. I'd buy a heater right now. <laughs> Yes, a, a heater would be good. A fireplace would be nice. You're right. But we're going to try to go in order from least expensive to more expensive. Okay, so if I'm reading between the lines here, uh, that is implying that a macro lens is not an absolute requirement for this. Well, you're correct as usual. A macro lens is a wonderful tool, and I tend to gravitate one you know, early in the lens collection as you buy a camera and lens kit. But you can get by with a telephoto zoom that can focus quite close. In fact, I know a guy sitting very close who brought that to my attention. Yeah, he, he, finds, he finds ways to do things that most people don't. And I think the thing to remember, for a lot of close-up work that most folks want to do, one time's life size is not really required. Uh, okay, I agree with that. And... Um... Especially since you brought up this uh, not required uh, business, uh, the lens I use, uh, I tested it out today, and it's a, it's a zoom lens and goes between 80 and 300. And I was focusing down to within 20, 20 inches of, of a subject, and, and that was filling the frame completely. So, yeah, I think that's correct. Okay, so what's the first item? Well, macro and close-up should have a backdrop of some kind. And that tends people to th start thinking about light tables. But they're expensive, and they can be a pain to store. So my alternative recommendation is to go to your local Walmart or office supply store and buy three sheets of white foam core board. I think the default size is 18 inches by 24 inches, which is absolutely big enough. Now, use some white tape, tape two of those pieces of foam core together on the vertical axis. This makes what is known as a V-flat, but it's a V-flat sized for tabletop work. Place the third piece flat on the table where you're going to do your photography, and set the open V-flat on top. 
how widely you open the V-flat is up to you. So what does this give you? Well, it gives you a neutral white background that also acts as fill cards. You can either use it as is, or if you want to build a composite, that white background also makes it easy to select your subject for extraction. Okay, so, but before you go any further, uh, let's not forget to bring up my most used accessory, which is, of course, a tripod. I do a fair amount of close-up stuff for the reasons you mentioned, and the depth of field gets really shallow when you're in close. And any kind of camera shake would just absolutely kills the image. However, I should mention that a large, sturdy tripod that we have advocated in the past, it's so good for everything else, but it may not work that well here. The reach from the tripod to wherever it is you've got your subject wrapped up in the V-flap may not, may not be suitable. So a smaller tabletop version may help you to get closer to the middle of the kitchen table where it's likely your subject is going to be. And it's easier to manipulate for that perfect angle. And also one of those multifunctional flat metal things with holes in it and a ball head screw to one end. Notice the word multifunctional? Because to my mind, the multifunctional part of this piece of equipment justifies the cost, which is not extravagant in the first place. So I take it you mean something along the lines of a platypod? Yes, indeed. Well, I have to agree with you. Platypods are super convenient, and like a small tripod, it gives you more flexibility, and at least in my case, as general clumsy, <laughs> I'm less likely to trip over an extended tripod light. I also suggest a remote release. They're handy. But, you know, you don't have to spend money on one because all cameras have a built-in self-timer that you can use to prevent camera shake from squeezing the shutter release. You know, two-second delay is pretty much all you need. Or you could use one of those phone apps that give you a bigger image to assess the image with, and that prevents your neck from behaving like a pretzel. And you can also <laughs> use the app to trigger the camera. Now, camera and app dependent, of course, but I think most modern cameras, there's an app. There's an app for that. <laughs> this is bad if you're starting to think the same thing. <laughs> A little late for that, partner. <laughs> what about the subject? Does that come into play at all in this sort of setup? I don't think it does. A real benefit of this kind of work is that you can use it both just for the sake of photography, but also as a learning platform to get really good at directional lighting. So when I start doing this kind of work, just as a reminder and a reinforcement to skills I've developed, I like to use a large navel orange because it's mostly round. The skin texture really helps illustrate the power of manipulating the direction of the light. And when you're done, it's a nice healthy snack. Well, you've mentioned lighting. So what do you think we should use for lighting in this kind of scenario, or could use, so it might be a better way. Well, at the most basic level, room lighting will get you going. Although in the case of a room light, they tend to be fixed, so it's a bit harder to manipulate direction. My preference is a smaller LED panel on one of those inexpensive tabletop tripods, maybe one that even has movable legs. Ah, you mean like the gorilla pod? I don't think we mentioned that one in the previous comments about the tripod. 
But yeah, Gorilla Boards, I like. Uh, they're quite inexpensive. And you can get them readily from B&H and even Amazon. I think they're a great choice because they come in different weight capacities. And you're not likely to be putting a camera on it, only a small LED panel, or even at some you know, cases, a single loom cube type device, if your subject is really, really small. The flexible legs allow you to get the light where you need it to be. But, of course, if you're using a larger panel, you need a more stable stand. And again, in the GorillaPod line, they come in different sizes and weight-carrying capability. And if I've got it right, they're made in Mississauga. They could very well be. I don't know that. I think they come from Job. So is there a particular light that you actually like for these? I do. I've had great success with the Godox LED P260C. Who names these things? I don't know who names these things, but they really need to get out more. Uh, these are LED panels. They're only about 90 bucks at B&H. And they deliver a decent amount of light in a light panel that's 14 by 6 inches. They'll run off AC or any of the generic NP series batteries that you can buy separately, again on Amazon. They include a tilt mount that is attached to the light panel. And that has a standard 5 8 inch opening. So I just put a 5 8 inch stud on the 1 quarter 20 screw on the tabletop tripod and I'm good to go. Now, of course, you can go to a smaller panel. I just like these because they're small enough to be portable, large enough to light larger subjects without becoming super harsh. They're rated at 550 lux, which is excellent for tabletop work. You're not going to light a room with them, but that's not what we're talking about. So, if you, I mean, these, these are small, portable, not terribly expensive. So what do you think? Two? Three? Well, I think that if you're... You know, building up the V-flats like we talked about and using the V-flats as reflectors, you can get by with one. Keep mm -hmm. things as simple okay. as you can. Certainly add another if you want to lower your ISO or use a higher shutter speed in order to make the depth of field that you need work. But I think most folks could get by with one. Okay. All right. So we talked about foam coal, not expensive. Maybe an inexpensive tripod. Uh, maybe a grill board, something along those lines. So not much expenditure so far in terms of stuff that we need. What's next on your list? Well, so long as the lens you're thinking about using is not a wide angle, I like to use extension tubes. They allow you to mount them to the body, and then the lens mounts to them, and that allows you, with any lens, longer than what well, let's call the standard focal length, to get physically closer and to focus closer. Now, you can't focus to infinity anymore, but that's not the point of what we're trying to do. We're trying to do close-up or macro work. I've had great success with the set from Kenko. Relatively inexpensive. Comes with a set of three tubes of different depths, and of course you can stack them together. And less expensive than a single tube from any of the major camera manufacturers. Mm -hmm. So something that you could look at. I will take a second to caution against extension tubes carrying the Aperture brand name as I've found many of them to not lock in properly to the camera or to the lens, and that means crash, boom, bang, and that makes people unhappy. My experience with extension tubes is that, well, it, it takes some trial and error before you start getting comfortable with them because 
you're not expecting the focusing distance to have dropped down so drastically as they do with these. And as the focus range gets diminished so quickly, the depth of field gets really, really limited. This, of course, can be both a problem and a benefit. And one of the benefits that I found with them is that it does give you a chance to step outside the conventional thinking box and experiment with some of the newer features that are available on the cameras, uh, such as focus stacking. I mean, you may as well go and experiment. The weather's crappy out there, so you may as well go try something new. Well, you're right, and it can be sometimes inconvenient if your camera is on a tripod and you have to keep moving the camera to get the focus where you want it. So that's kind of handy. The focusing is also an issue. I mean, the, the autofocus works well most of the time, but if you're trying to really narrow it down, which you will have to do if you're using the, lens, the extension tubes, why not try the focusing, manual focusing aids that are, again, present in many of the cameras, such as focus speaking, which uh, I have found invaluable for what, whatever I'm doing. Yeah, I really like that function myself. Not every camera has it, but if yours does, read the fine manual, and you'll find that focus peaking is an invaluable tool for this kind of work. So if your camera has it, give it a try. But another tool that I found very useful is called a focusing rail. I have a really right stuff system that is superb, but candidly, it's rather expensive. But you can find a variety of different rail options by searching for macro focusing rail as your search criteria on BNH or Amazon. Just be sure that the one you choose is capable of holding the weight of your camera and the lens you're using. And you want a focusing rail that has what's called a worm drive mechanism. It's basically a long screw that allows for very, very, very precise back and forth camera movements. Be careful though, because there are some very inexpensive units that look like a great deal, but they're just sliding plates. There's no fine precision to them, and they're frankly mostly useless. This is another one of those things that you have to use for a period of time before you get comfortable with it, because they frequently have worm drives or screw drives or whatever you want to call it, and it moves it in two directions. It moves it back and forth to get it in focus or sideways, so you can frame your photograph the, the way you really want to. What else did you have in mind? Well, you know, when we start to talk about this stuff, Someone will always bring up a ring flash system. But honestly, they get really pricey. And while they're very useful for close-up work on things that are moving because of the short flash duration, a tabletop close-up environment doesn't require that level of functionality. But I do have two other suggestions for most people that are fairly important. What are you thinking of? Well, first, if I don't mention those execrable close-up filter things, plus one, plus two, plus three screw-on things that are supposed to be filters and supposed to give you good close-up quality, some poor listener's going to buy a set and then curse us forever or make little dolls and stick pins in them. Oh, not again. I hate that part. These close-up lens filter pieces of crap are pointless garbage. Don't spend a cent, or if you're in Canada, a nickel on them. On the other hand, and for much less, a roll of white parchment paper is an excellent tool 
to help you create a larger light source. I cut a sheet quite a bit larger than the light source and hang it from wire taped to the top of the V-flats very close to the subject and let the light source pass through it. I know a lot of folks bought those loom cubes, but it's really just one little LED. The light from them is pretty harsh. Mm -hmm. Move it back a bit though, and push that light through a piece of white parchment paper, and they produce a pretty usable soft light because they've got a fair bit of output in that little box. Well, uh, with some of this kit, which is, as you promised, all quite inexpensive, I think that probably the good macro focusing rail is probably the most expensive piece on the list. One is really in a great position for tabletop, close-up, desktop, macro photography. So having covered all that, why don't we close it down here and the listeners go out and, oh, sorry, take that back, stay in <laughs> and play for the podcast. I'm Gordon. And I'm Ross. If you shop at B&H Photo Video, please do so through the link on our site. It costs you nothing and it helps support the channel. And until next time, peace.